Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Megan. And we're both European privacy lawyers at Field Fisher, and we'll be delivering the bite-sized legal update for you today. Megan, what's our topic? Today we'll be talking about the Swedish regulator's enforcement action against various companies' use of Google Analytics. Oh dear, not another Google Analytics decision. I'm having deja vu. Or didn't we hear enough about that last year? We did, and there's more. Last year we saw decisions from the French, Italian and Austrian data protection regulators off the back of a series of NOYB complaints against 101 companies across Europe. So, Google Analytics. Can you use it? Can you not? And what do the EU authorities have to say? Before we get started, Rob, perhaps it's helpful if you can first give us a bit of background to the decisions. Sure. So there were four companies in these decisions. Two of them, Dargans and Co-op, were not fined, whereas the other two, Tele2 and CDON, were fined. We should also say that three of the companies were also ordered to stop using their version of the Google Analytics that they've been using at the time of the complaint, unless adequate safeguards could be put in place. The other had already stopped using it. But the rulings didn't ban Google Analytics altogether. That's correct. And what's interesting about the decision is it left open the possibility to continue using Google Analytics. But presumably under some conditions. Exactly. So by looking at these four decisions, we can identify a few themes as to why two of the companies were fined and two were not. And it really all comes down to some basic GDPR principles and following the guidance of the EDPB. So as our listeners will be aware, the Schrems 2 case and the EDPB guidance which followed that said a lot of things but in particular about how to approach the issue of data transfers when relying on standard contractual clauses. And this is about a six-step process, right? So knowing your transfers, verifying the transfer tool, assessing the safeguards, adopting supplementary measures if necessary, and so on. That's right. So where did it all go wrong for the two companies who were fined? We can really look at these two cases in two parts. The technical measures which the companies undertook or didn't, and also the extent to which they documented what they were doing or didn't. And were there any commonalities to how all four companies were using Google Analytics? Yes. And as with most companies who are using Google Analytics and similar tools, the companies were using it to understand how visitors to their websites as a whole were viewing the sites. So, for example, what pages they browsed or what products they purchased. The specifics of these details are not really too important for us to dwell on, but the point to note is that all four had implemented IP address truncation. Okay, and I'm guessing that wasn't enough, otherwise we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, exactly. So just to explain a little bit about what IP address truncation is. So in the old IP version 4 standards of IP addresses, uh, which are essentially the numbers which direct you to a particular web page or a device, these are made up of four three-digit numbers like 123.456.789.012. And truncation simply means deleting those last three digits, in this case 012, and replacing it with a zero. Well, that sounds helpful from a privacy perspective. Well, yes, but perhaps not as helpful as it could be. You see, first of all, the three other sets of numbers are still there. And secondly, Google Analytics was also collecting other data, such as information about the browser being used and other identifiers. So that even with that less granularity on the IP address, it could still be possible to single out a particular individual, or so the decision said. The second problem was that if this truncation only happens by Google on its servers in the US, then that somewhat defeats the purposes of the GDPR and the Schrems 2 ruling because this data could be ingested by the US intelligence authorities in a form that still identifies the individuals. So what more can be done? Can this problem be totally overcome? Certainly more can be done, but whether it's possible from a technical perspective to fully solve the issue isn't 100% clear from the decisions. 
but we can certainly look at what these companies did. So what Dargan did was twofold. Firstly, it used a proxy server located in the EU. Ironically, this was a Google server, but within a data center in the EU operated by Google Island. And this was used to truncate the IOP address before it was transferred to Google Analytics in the US. Secondly, it had hashed the values of the cookies before they were transferred. Okay, and what about co-op? It did something similar. It used a server-side container to ensure that no IP address information was sent to Google, rather just some generic IP address that would be transmitted to Google, regardless of the user's unique IP address. So basically, both companies who avoided fines took some technical measures to ensure they had more control over what data was sent to Google Analytics. But was that enough to avoid a fine? Well, perhaps not. And this is where we come on to the two companies who were fined and the differences between them. So from the decisions, it's clear that the level of fines was different. Teletoo was fined about 0.043% of their annual turnover, whereas CDOM was fined 0.065%. Both still relatively small percentages, but still markedly different for what was in effect the same problem. Why was that? So what all the companies had done, except for CDON, was to carry out some analysis and mapping of the life cycle of the data when it's used in Google Analytics. And that accords with the principles we were discussing earlier around knowing your transfers and then doing something about it. CDON, on the other hand, had not done enough mapping and in fact had realised that there were some alternatives they could have used instead of Google Analytics, but they chose not to implement them because it would have been too burdensome. Got it. So that explains the higher fine. And we've all heard the good news this week about the transatlantic data privacy framework. Does the arrival of the DPF mean this is all sorted? Well, yes and no. And there are some reasons for this. Firstly, the DPF will only solve US transfers. It won't solve transfers to other countries where you'll still be relying for a large part on the standard contractual clauses, for which the SREMS 2 judgment and the EDPB guidance is, of course, important. Secondly, of course, it doesn't solve the problem of historic transfers. The decisions that we've discussed today arose out of complaints made in 2020. That's almost three years ago. Now, whether regulators are still processing these complaints or whether they're just going to throw them in a drawer now that the DPF has been finalised remains to be seen. We have seen some indications from some regulators that this might be the case. Everyone is really hoping that the DPF brings some cover to this whole data transfer saga. At least until Shrems 3, right? Well, indeed. But let's remember that it's 10 years since Edward Snowden's allegations, uh, which kicked all of this off. So perhaps worry about this later? Very true. So what are the key takeaways from these decisions? Well, Megan, the first is to really understand your transfers. Take the time to look at what tools you're using, whether that's Google Analytics, a competitor, or even your transfers more generally. And the second is to follow the remaining EDPB recommendations by identifying risks and doing something about them. And documenting all of this seems key. Absolutely. Showing the regulators that you've thought about the problem is just so, so important. Several times in the decisions, the regulator pointed out how some of these companies believed they had solved the problem and that they really seemed to go a long way to reducing the level of enforcement. Thanks very much, Rob. Well, we hope that's given you all some useful thoughts on these latest decisions. We'll be back soon with more bite-sized legal updates. Thanks for tuning in.